Let's turn to Titus. Paul's letter to Titus. And verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in the present age. The grace of God has appeared. And if you notice, it tells us that this grace, when it comes, does two things to us. It tells us to renounce, or your word in the Bible I'm reading from is deny. It's a very strong word, very strong. The word deny doesn't really say it, unless you get inside the word deny and stamp your feet a bit. The word deny, it means to renounce, repudiate, reject, absolutely have nothing to do with. The grace of God has appeared teaching us or instructing us to reject deny all ungodliness and worldly desires. So that is the first thing. When a person has received of the grace of God, they will turn upon sin and have nothing to do with it. But secondly, it says, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So it isn't only that they have renounced a lifestyle of ungodliness. That's only one side of it. They have embarked upon a new kind of a lifestyle which is characterized by three words. To live sensibly, righteously, and godly. Now, I don't have enough time for three words, but I do have time for one word, which I think actually could be the most important word in that sentence. I'm not sure about that, but it could be. And the word is sensibly. If you are born again, you have renounced, done with ungodliness, and you have taken up a new lifestyle that is called here being sensible. Now, I know that doesn't sound too exciting. And actually, I, I would like to have translated that word by another word. I'm not sure what your version might say. Maybe it says what I would like to have translated it as. That word, in my opinion should be translated self-control. Now, in actual fact, it is translated self-control elsewhere in the New Testament by this Bible, New American Standard. But here they've chosen sensibly, and for the life of me, I don't know why. Self-control is the word. It's a very important word in the New Testament describing the new birth kind of life. In fact, right here in Titus, it keeps on coming up when he talks about elders, leaders of the church, one of the great characteristics of them, according to verse 8, is that they are self-controlled. You jump down to chapter 2, and it says, the older men in the church, they should be characterized by being, it says sensible in my Bible, self-controlled. It says, the older women should be characterized by being self-controlled, in verse 5. Then in verse 6 he says, and likewise the young men should be self-controlled. And then he says here that in fact it is the characteristic of everybody. Once the grace of God has come to you, one of the characteristics that stands out, you become self-controlled. You might remember that when 
Paul was addressing Felix. Now this I find fascinating. When Paul was addressing Felix, a heathen, he's preaching the gospel to him. And what does he address this man about? Self-control. It would suggest to me that all these people, according to Titus, are to realize that self-control is the center of this Christian life. And when he addressed Felix, self-control was part of the gospel that he presented. And then, of course, another one that leaps out is Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is, and down that list, self-control. This has got to be a very important word, self-control. So, I must ask, what is this self-control? Now, I don't want you to get confused here. It's very easy. In fact, there are some Bible commentators that got terribly confused here. You see, in the days of Paul, there were certain philosophies, uh, there were certain Greek moralists. You know what I mean? You do realize that being moral is not being Christian. You, you do understand that, don't you? There is no such thing actually as Christian morality. Uh, we won't get into that. But um, morality is not being a Christian. So, so the moral majority can include a lot of human beings. They don't have to be Christians. Because being moral is the, the cry of, of what's left after the fall has blitzed man. Man is not totally lost in terms of not knowing right from wrong. Though man is lost unless he comes to Christ, even as his lostness, he does know God is there somewhere and he does know there's right and he does know there's wrong. In that sense, he's not totally lost. The devil doesn't know right from wrong. Do you, do you understand what I mean by that? The devil thinks right is wrong and wrong is right. He's totally immersed forever into wrongness. Man was deceived. And so he can tell the difference. He knows there is right. And whenever man moves to that rightness, we say it's morality. And the Greeks had perfected that. In fact, there were a group called the Stoics. You might have heard of the Stoics. They were into self-discipline. And many Bible commentators think that Paul took from the Stoics and was talking here about self-discipline. He's not. He's talking about self-control. And there's a world of difference between self-discipline and self-control. What is self-discipline? Well, self-discipline is an imposition. That is, it comes from the outside. I impose on myself, or I let somebody else impose on me. It's an imposition upon my inner desires, my inner lusts. And I allow someone to impose a law on me, that you shall not do that. And so, here this imposition, something from the outside comes upon me and says, you can't do it. And I say, okay, okay, I won't do it. But I really would love to do it. I still want to do it. But I'll be disciplined. I won't do what I really want to do. I will do what I'm supposed to do. That's self-discipline. I bring myself under and I grip my teeth. And I say, I won't do it. And you'd better give me a good reason why I mustn't do it. And so along with morality and along with self-discipline, there go the reasons, usually high reasons, why I shouldn't do it. And I'll drag myself. I'll whip myself. You will not do that. I am self-disciplined. Now see, that, 
as far back as the days of Paul crept into the church it's in the church today I've heard it many times you can read it anytime you want it comes down to something like this after all he has done for you you can hear it's coming now you can hear it coming see now we've given you a reason we're going to come to you with all your snake pit of lusts and desires and whip you into shape and after all he's done for you the least you can do for him is and then insert in there the latest fad in the body of Christ do you follow what I mean by this? do you get what self-discipline is? it's something that comes from the outside you're going to twist your arm and make yourself do what you don't want to do but you'll do it for some reason I, I, I know some people and they are self-disciplined because they feel that's the route to heaven I tell you this I heard a man the other day God bless him I prayed for that man I mean that because he I mean he was a preacher and he was telling the people that when his mummy was dying he promised her he'd meet her in heaven and so since that day he has tried so hard he's been disciplined and he hasn't drunk and he hasn't smoked and he hasn't chewed tobacco because he wants to see mummy in heaven that's self-discipline that's accepted as evangelical preaching God help us do you understand what I'm talking about? really I mean and then of course you go to some churches and they've already got the self-discipline all lined out that if you join this church you can't do this you can't do and they've got the list and you sign at the part of why to be accepted by the church so I'll, I'll, I'll let someone twist my arm self-discipline is saying here is something I shouldn't do for some reason or other and so I guess I won't do it self-discipline is in the world that you should you must you ought you know those of you that were in the military you know what it is you go along with it I mean why not get off my back I'll do it but you forget why if there ever was a reason you just do it self-discipline see the Pharisees if any of you are into self-discipline let me encourage you the Pharisees were the Pharisees were really into self-discipline they were very disciplined people they were disciplined in the way they dressed they wouldn't dress like heathens they they dressed in a way that they had determined God liked poor God he's brought into all the fashion shows um, they, they, they decided what God liked and what God didn't like and so Pharisees dressed very disciplined and their hours of prayer you've got to give them a plus I've never yet met anybody that had a disciplined life like the Pharisees from the minute they got out of bed almost every hour had got some particular expression of ritual of prayer scripture memorization who in this audience started at four years old memorizing Leviticus every Pharisee did as soon as you were born into a Pharisee home four years old and you're memorizing Leviticus and you move on to Genesis and then Exodus and then Numbers and then Deuteronomy by the time you're 12 you can quote the whole jolly lot that's the beginning of being a Pharisee by the time you're 20 you've delved into the Psalms and the prophets Man, that, that's discipline strict rigid discipline it came into days of prayer days of fasting every Wednesday and Friday tithing you didn't only tithe on your money you tithed on the very leaves on the vegetables in the garden did you know that the Pharisee would go and count the leaves 
on the herbs that grew in the garden, every tenth one, he'd pluck it off and put it in the offering plate. You talk about tithing. But wherever they went, you could feel the results of discipline. It's cold. There is something ice cold about a self-disciplined religion. Highly organized, I'll grant you that. And it looks perfect. It's right, dead right. Cold, distant. And they don't have to say a word. It plays around their mouth, the arrogance despising they don't even have to say it I thank you oh God I'm not as other men it's coming out of every pore of their skin do you realize they shared that in common with every other religion in the world and when I see believers today that are self-disciplined I, I often have to tell them you know you're not very well disciplined I mean if you're going to get into self-discipline try being a Muslim I mean, you're going to go the whole way, go the whole way. If you want discipline, you say you don't drink alcohol. Well, even the Mormons don't drink coffee. I mean, go for it, man, go for it. I mean, where does this thing end? You'll end up drinking purified water if you're not. I mean, it's just... If you want discipline, go to the religions of this world. And they have done a perfect job of it. And it looks so right. Oh, it gets to you. You see a person who's dressed odd and different, and you see a person who on the hour, every hour, does this, does that. It looks so right. Anyone who's a bit sluggish, you suddenly feel unspiritual. Paul spoke to this in Colossians 2. He mentions, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. He says, these have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion self-abasement and severe treatment of the body but have no value against fleshly indulgence there is a way that seems right to a man but the end of is the way of death that's the trouble with it it seems so right when you look at it you say it couldn't be wrong can a man be wrong because he prays on the hour every hour can a man be wrong because he has memorized the Bible Depends where his heart is at. Yes, he could be wrong. That's why it's a way that seems right. Going off to break the Ten Commandments on the hour every hour does not seem right. So there's no doubt where he stands. But when a person seems to be so right, it's hard to say they're wrong. Jesus went to the Pharisees of his day. In Matthew 23, he says, You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. He has said, the cup is not cleaned by scrubbing the outside. And did you notice what he said? Clean the inside so that the outside may become clean. That is, you're spending all your time scrubbing the outside. Basically, he said, forget the outside, get to the inside and the outside will take care of itself. So he is saying that the holiness that he's talking about is not self-discipline. It's something that arises from the inside and moves to the outside. See, self-discipline, I suppose, in America today, shows up mostly in dieting. Huh. I mean, that's self-discipline that everybody understands, right? For some reason, see, self-discipline always has to have some reason out there. So for some reason, I guess I'd better diet. The doctor breathing down my neck, 
or a bathing suit hanging in the cupboard that won't fit around my thigh. You know, some reason that I have got to start dieting. So I impose upon myself these incredible rules. And everything inside me says yes until the first meal. And then everything says no. But I'm disciplined. And I grit my teeth for a while until apparently I've got it licked and then I go and forget the whole thing again. That's always discipline. Because you see, you don't want to do this. You're, you're accepting the impositions, but you don't want to do it. And so the first chance out. So you see, you get all these crazy magazines as you go in the checkout and they're screaming at you. You know, lose 30 pounds in an hour. You know, new diet, new diet. And people buy them. And a new discovery. I might just do it this time. Now, I see the church today in America exactly like that. Most believers I know in the spirit are in on diets. I won't do this and I won't do that and I won't do the other. In my heart, I wish I could, but I won't do this. I'm going to be holy. We're going to get this thing on the road. And every passing preacher has got a new fad diet. Do it my way. And you'll be holy in 30 minutes. Come on. Five steps. Hey, you do know, don't you, that when you diet and lose weight and gain it right back, you're in a worse state than when you began. And when believers are forever finding new fad ways to try and be holy, try to discipline themselves into holiness, in the long run you're worse off than when you began. Because you see, self-discipline is a sin. Self-discipline, I mean applied to the things of the Spirit, is a sin. For what is self-discipline? It is but one more action of the flesh. Now, what do I mean by flesh? That term fills the New Testament. What does it mean? Very quickly, who were you before you came to Christ? I mean, let, let's take a quick photograph. Who were you? The Bible calls you an old man. Not old in years. Old man means corrupt, decaying, falling apart. So you were old in that sense. What constituted the old man? I, I, had determined I would go my own way. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. That's the essence of it all. I mean, forget these big theological words like original sin and Basically, when all is said and done, it just means man made a choice beyond all choices. A choice out of which every choice would come. I want it my way. Which means I am going to live my life independently of God. I'll acknowledge he's there. I'll tip my cap to him every Sunday. But I'll do it my way. And man died in his spirit. So the old man, this corrupt man, decaying man spiritually, is one who is dead in his spirit and has been taken over by his eye. will do it my way independently of God. 
and such a man plays directly into the hands of Satan and it described as being led around by the prince to the power of the air the spirit who is now at work in the sons of disobedience that's who you were do you identify with that? that's who you were that's the man that is called dead in sins what happened when you were born again? you realize through the preaching of the gospel that that old man had been taken by Jesus and when Jesus died that man died everything you were in rebellion and hostility to God was taken to the cross and you died but not only so Christ came inside of you by his spirit and that which was dead in you came alive you were a new creation you were born again and what was not there is there Christ now lives inside of you your spirit is alive to God for Christ is in you so you still have flesh this desire to be independent but it's not you you are Christ in you you are the new creation that's who you are the Holy Spirit has shed abroad the love of God in your heart you have eternal life which is life as God has it that's who you are you are a partaker of the new covenant which says the law of God is written on your heart that's who you are but I still live in a body of flesh which means the potential for living independently of God is there oh I'm not the old man he's gone he's dead I my spirit alive Christ in me that's who I am but always the pull always the what shall I say seduction come and do it the old way come and be independent feel the sweetness of being in control instead of this dependency upon Christ instead of Christ living in you and Christ living as you the pull every temptation you've ever had really is a call to live independently of Jesus I'll get to that again in a moment but you see now that I've come to Christ if my flesh has got any sense it's not going to call me to commit murder it has half an idea I'll say no to that so the flesh joins the church the flesh says you do realize that independent of God you can be good enough for him I mean I know we did all that awful stuff before we didn't have to you know we could have done it this way we don't need God to be holy good grief all you need to do is try a bit harder I mean we never used to try did we well let's start trying now now you know the rules we'll play by them come on you can do it just a little discipline says the flesh independently of God you can try a little harder a little prayer wouldn't hurt memorize a few Bibles I mean just get your act together says the flesh I can do it I can be like Jesus you see I can go anywhere you want if you wanted wild parties we had a jolly good time there didn't we now that we'll do it this way now they will have wild meetings if you want we'll do it any way you want just do it my way you see you must understand I'm your flesh I am not as bad as you think I'm a pretty good chap really just give me a chance 
I can really achieve being like Jesus if you'll only give me a chance. The flesh, I kid you not, that's the flesh. Anything independent of God, the flesh, that's what it wants to do. Oh, you don't have to be bad, bad, bad. You can be good, good, good. If it's independent of God, it's the flesh. The flesh has got one phrase. It says, I, I will try to please God. That is, God's over there, I'm over here. See what we can do to become acceptable to God. More lovable. Like, do you see what I'm saying? I, 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 I will try to be good. And the tragedy is, there are millions of believers in America who came to receive the forgiveness of sins knowing it was got to come from the God side. Only God could achieve my forgiveness. And when we accepted his forgiveness and came in, we said, thank you very much. Now, after all you've done for me, you better sit back, God. Wait till I show you what I'm going to do for you. I, I pastored for a long time in Northern Ireland. I look back sometimes to those days, back in the 60s, when it was almost like pastoring in a third world country. I mean, we didn't have running water, and for a while we didn't have electricity. And while I was there, the electricity finally came to where we were pastoring. And I mean, it was a big thing. When the first person in the congregation got electricity, I mean, we all went to the house. I mean, we were there for the switching on ceremony. I mean, electricity has come. And then... It got kind of ho-hum as one by one everybody got it. We'd almost forgotten, you know, it was, it was in the church now. Until the last person, the oldest elder we had, decrepit poor old chap, and he lived way out in the sticks. In Ireland, that's the peat bogs, and he lived way out there. And finally, he was the last one to get electricity. And so the board of elders, we all went out there. I mean, honor him. The last one and the oldest one is going to get electricity. I've been to dinner there many times before. And uh, just as it got dusk, he would light the paraffin lamps. Oh, tonight we sat around. He let it get a little bit darker than dusk. And then in Irish fashion, he gave that nod to his wife. The patriarchal nod. Which meant wife to your duty. And she got up in that semi-darkness and went to the switch. And you could see the anticipation as she put on the switch. And immediately the room flooded with light. Very slowly the old man got up, went over to the paraffin lamps and lit them. And he says, you can put it out now. He said to us, it's going to be a lot easier to light the lamps after this. When I saw him do that, I said, there go so many believers. When Jesus comes, and the light is turned on, they say, now it's going to be a lot easier to keep the law. No. When Jesus comes, it's no more self-discipline. It's no more struggling to keep the law. Jesus doesn't come to make it easier to keep the law. Jesus comes to give us something entirely beyond the law, never contradicting it, but far, far beyond it. Far, far beyond it. This was the trouble with the Galatians. They thought they could begin in the power of the Spirit and come to a holiness by self-discipline. No. You have come into something that is unlike any religion in this world. 
Every religion has a law. You have a person. The person who has come to live within. We have the new heart. The love of God shed abroad. And the essence of that law written within. And what is the essence of law? Love. Ten commandments are only love written negatively. You, you understand? I mean, if I love you, I won't kill you. If I love you, I won't lie to you. So it's love in another way. So what's self-control? Self-control is listening to my heart. Not a law imposed from the outside. It's listening to who I now am in Christ. And what do I hear when I listen to who I am? I hear that I want, I want God. I love Him now. And I want to fulfill the love of God that is in me by loving you. Malcolm continues this message on side two. When you're first born again, however weak that may sound down inside of you, that is your new heart. I mean, that is the new you. You're not who you were. You are who you are. If you listen, what do I really want? You want God. You want to express His love to others. See, if I don't listen to my heart, if I don't, if I listen to what many other believers are telling me, or if I listen to my flesh, <laughs> I sit down with some believers sometimes. It's like sitting at a fat farm when the ice cream man goes by. <laughs> I mean, I hear what, oh, I am so weak. I, I, I feel, oh, you know, I get so tempted and I fail God so much. Pray for me, the devil's always after me. And every Sunday night, anybody got a request and one weak limp hand goes up, you know, pray for me, you don't know, I'm going to be tempted this week. Haven't you ever heard your heart? You're talking discipline there. And you're saying when the discipline's on, I feel so weak. You know, I've tried all these diets and none of them work. I, and I hear believers talking the same nonsense. Don't you know who you are? You don't, you don't talk like that. Listen to your heart. Tell me this. Those of you that feel the biggest failure in this place, when it comes to living the Christian life, I mean, you've blown it. Well... Let me counsel you. This is what I do when people come to me in private. Let me do it publicly. Listen to your heart. Listen to your heart. That besetting sin that makes you feel such a failure. Let, let's listen to your heart. Do you want that besetting sin? I mean, do you want it? Tell me, will you go to that besetting sin and say, You are my friend. I will protect you. I will justify my right to have you in my life. Now, some of you are looking at me horrified. Of course, if you listen to your heart, you don't want sin. You'll never protect that besetting sin. You'll never justify its existence. You don't want it. Why? Because the grace of God has appeared instructing you to deny sin. You don't want it. You've got a new heart then give yourself a slap in the face. You are not one of the dieters. You're not sitting there and saying, I'm going to try again, but it's a hopeless job, I'm so weak and the devil's going to get me this week. No, you haven't got to try again. 
Stand up. Stretch. Throw away the diet sheets. It's over. It's gone. Arise and shine and Christ shall give you light. Be who you are. And for some reason you've never realized who you are. This isn't a second experience. I'm only telling you who you are. This is what happened to you when you came to Christ. And you've had your eyes on the flesh and you've had your eyes on discipline and you've tried to turn your flesh into something acceptable to God. Well, you can't. All God ever said about the flesh is crucified, so forget that. He comes and plays on your heart, not on your flesh. And he says, what's your heart? What's your heart? And he says, I've given you a new heart and Christ lives there. The love of God is there. That's who you are. Now, I'm in a position to handle this nonsense. I'm going to make choices. Can't fool me with the flesh anymore. And the flesh calls me, I say, I know you. You're not me. <laughs> oh no, you've been crucified with Christ. That's my faith confession right now. And I'm not confessing it to make it happen. I'm confessing it because it's happened. You're no longer me. I, I, in my innermost self, I. Christ lives in me. That's who I am. I don't live with you anymore. At this moment, I live in harmony with who I am, with Christ in me. This is faith. This is real faith. It's daring to believe the facts of the gospel. The fact that this I was crucified with Christ and that this I is Christ living in me. That's my faith. I am helpless. I know that I cannot in my flesh live the Christian life. It's impossible. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. The fruit of me being joined to the Holy Spirit. And so I choose to live life out of my deepest self. I'm going to choose to be who I want to be. Am I making sense? I'm living out of who I really am. I'm going to choose to be who I want to be. I'm not going to struggle and try to have my flesh imitate Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus be himself. And I am going to choose to let him be himself. So it isn't changing my flesh. It's exchanging not the flesh that's crucified I exchange let Christ live well that involves sacrifice no doubt about that there are some things I don't do I do them by choice do not do them by choice and I didn't not do them that's bad isn't it didn't not you know what I mean though don't you <laughs> I was not stopping doing those things in response to law it wasn't self-discipline. I asked in my innermost heart, what do you really want to do? And I want to love God, and I want to love you. And anything that stands in the way of that, I want to be rid of it. I do. I want to. And so if there is something that I am doing that is going to tear your heart up, I'll stop doing that. And if there is something I am doing that will only fuel my desire to forget God, I'll stop doing that. Oh, there's no law that's saying you must, you must, you must. I want, I want, I want to please God. Therefore, if that's the case, I must adjust my life around that. You, you understand that? In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul gives the illustration of self-control using an athlete. That's a perfect illustration. 
If Paul hadn't used it first, I would have thought of it first. It's a perfect illustration. You know, what, what is an athlete? He gives up a lot of things. Why? Because he wants to. He has his eyes set upon a certain goal. He's looking for a gold medal, a certain kind of accolade. And he wants that more than a lot of things. And so he gives this up and he gives that up. It's no sacrifice. Or you might look at him and say, what a sacrifice. But then you're not running the same as he is. It's no sacrifice to him. The biggest sacrifice to him would be not being allowed to run in the race. A believer who understands who he is in Christ does not have an imposition from the outside. He has the bursting forth of a life from the inside. And because of that, he will make sacrifices as far as the outsiders are concerned. As far as he's concerned, he didn't even notice it. So I'm going to watch what goes into my head. I'm going to watch what I watch. I'm going to watch what I read. Why? Not because there's a church loading me with rules and regulations. Because Christ lives in me and I want to know Him more than anything else in life. And I want to be able to love you even as Christ loved you. So therefore, I'm going to watch my life. Because you see, I want to bring my life to its total fulfillment. That I may be the human being God created to me and Christ redeemed me to be. I want to fulfill my innermost self who is Christ living in me. I want to know the meaning to life in this existential moment. I want to live this moment. So you see, I, there's some things that um, I'm not going to get involved in. But you see, the fun of it is, I'm not obeying the law when I do that. Unless you call Christ in me the law, that's okay. Self-control is response to the voice of the Spirit within. So you see, if it was a law to keep, then I would say, well, I've kept all those rules, and you didn't. <laughs> Immediately, despising arrogance flickers around my mouth. But no, 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 see, I'm living from Christ in me. And then, see, it sets me completely free, because there are some things, he knows me, or he knows me better than I ever know myself. And he says, Malcolm, you can't do that. I said, but he's doing it and you're blessing him. He said, none of your business. He can, you can't. Because he knows me. And he knows you too. So it's okay for you, but not for me. Do you understand that? You're taking out a law, you're into the Spirit. And the Spirit says, don't. The Spirit says, do. And I learned to live from within. And he never contradicts the Scripture. Never. But it's no sacrifice. Because I have a new heart. And I make choices. It says the, the grace of God has appeared instructing us. The Holy Spirit does not come through us like a tornado making us do something. The Holy Spirit never takes away your free will. He gives it back to you. The devil stole it. Sin stole it. You got so used to being a robot. Addict to this. Addict to that. When Jesus comes, he sets you free. And it gets, it gets them getting used to sometimes. That's why new believers get into self-discipline so quickly. Because they're used to that. They're used to someone beating them around the head and saying, do this. Can't get used to growing up into real human adults. So that I live. Ah, ah, I live. You mean I can do this by my... Yeah, go on, go on. 
I said, God, you do it for me. Go on, you do it for me. Send this revival. Go on, you do it. He says, get on and you do it. You make the choice. I, I live for the first time. I'm free. I make a choice. The grace of God came and instructed me to deny ungodliness. I didn't think I could. He says, go on, you can. Go on. And when I deny it, and when I say no, when I say yes to him, I suddenly find that I have been empowered with the Holy Spirit so that I can say no to sin. Do you get this picture? What about temptation? Because that's another hour, really. Let me tell you this, that temptation is God's method. That's how he establishes it in the Spirit. Now, you looked at me weird. Yeah, temptation is God's method. Look, I'm going to get in a plane on Monday morning and we're going to take off. Do you know how we take off? It's very simple. You need power, but you have to have opposition. You know that? That's why they have those wind socks on the airport. Tells you which way the wind is blowing. You know you can't take off in a vacuum. You've got to have opposition. Power plus opposition equals flight. And this is God's method. He allows flesh to call me so that I make a choice in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I am established in the Spirit to the point where many temptations you're not even tempted anymore because it's done. Temptation comes. See, with a self-disciplined person, they never deal with temptation or sin. Never deal with it. They suppress it. I mustn't do that. I'm not dealing with it. That's just saying you mustn't do it. And as soon as whoever gave you the disciplines out of the way, you'll do it. You know, then you, you say, you know, my, my teenage boy, he was such a good boy until he went to school and then he fell apart. No, he didn't. He'd fallen apart the whole time. He was just under discipline. Do you understand that? Don't, don't, don't. I mean, I know you thought he was a good boy. He's just like any other boy. Right? He turned to his own way. But he liked you so much and he felt so sorry for you. He, he was going to try and be good. And as soon as you weren't there, he's going to be what he wanted to be all the time. Come on, don't look at me like that. You do the same thing when the pastor isn't watching. Off you go and it cats away the mice play, you know. Suppress, suppress, suppress. See, good Christians aren't angry. So oh, I won't be angry, I won't be angry, I won't be angry. You put anger in the basement. And what does it do? It climbs out the basement window and comes back through the front door under another name. Hey, do you know the people that have the most psychological problems? Evangelicals and charismatics? Absolutely messed up in their heads because they've suppressed and they've suppressed and they've suppressed. That's not dealing with sin. That's just pretending it isn't there. What do we do? Temptation comes. And I say, no. No, no, I'm a disciplined man. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. But the flesh, the flesh is so crazy. The flesh says, you know, I'm getting tired of this. I know it was my idea, but I'm getting tired of this. I think under the circumstances it wouldn't be sin if you did it, you know. I've been looking in the books and I think under these circumstances it's okay to do it. 
I'll give you about 20 times of saying no and before you get to 21 you've justified it's okay this time always if you say no to temptation out of self-discipline you will fall into sin and as soon as you've fallen into sin flesh condemns you how could you have done a thing like that and the devil takes it up and hurls accusation against you and you wallow in guilt and self-loathing my flesh isn't as bad as that I don't know what came over me and you wallow like that you love penance every one of you you're as Catholic as the next you love penance wallow in it wallow in it come to church looking miserable because I've sinned and I'm feeling it and then finally when you can take your own whipping no longer you say well maybe we could try again and on Sunday night come and give your life to Jesus well I know I did it last week but I'll have another try here we go dedicate and rededicate and re-rededicate my dedications and I promise and I'm beginning to feel good that's right I can do this I can I know I'm strong enough I don't know what came over me last time but this is it mate this is it we're going to do it and we feel smug oh do I feel I, I made my dedication <laughs> he didn't I did I did I know yeah. we're going to make it this time they're going to write a book about me I mean this is I am going to be such a holy man this is, this is it and so it goes on and so it goes on self control is nothing like that nothing self control begins with God not outside pressure self-control is from within and when temptation comes I'm not surprised if God says that my flesh is only good enough to be crucified I'm not surprised what it comes up with or what it wants to respond to I'm not surprised I just say Lord Jesus I know what I'm feeling right now and it's real feeling and there's a part of me that feels it wants to do this thing whatever it is but I know who I am that's not me that me was crucified with you on the cross Lord Jesus you are my life and I am now surrendering to you that you shall live your life in me and through me at this moment and when I thus surrender and say Lord Jesus take over and live I am empowered with all power and love reigns love reigns and let me tell you this if you fail let's suppose it I mean you might fall into temptation but if you know what I'm talking about even when you fail you're not wiped out because you know he still loves you so when the devil condemns you when you fall and you won't accept it you say no he loves me and the blood of Jesus cleanses me from sin and I know why I failed you see that's the point I never expected me to be able to overcome this I know I failed because I forgot to trust Jesus so I'm back to rest again it's, it's okay you say but just a minute what about you're, you're saying that you don't want to sin come on preacher says somebody back there I want to sin yeah I'm not, I'm not upset by that either he isn't he knows you let me tell you two things very quickly if you look in your heart and honestly you want to sin number one don't the grace of God never, ever, ever is easy on sin. The person who says, I'm under grace, I can sin and get away with it. No, you haven't heard the grace of God yet. 
even if you find, when you do what I say, listen to your heart, and you don't find there that you want holiness, still don't sin. But I'll tell you what to do. Ask of yourself in the... How, how do I so misunderstand the meaning of life and so misunderstand what it means for you to live in me that I should want to do this? And that's okay. You can do that without condemnation. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. If there's an area of your life where honestly you say, but I find I do want to do that and I know it's sin. Number one, don't do it for grace never allows you to do it. Number two, he loves you. He loves you. Even, even admitting that, acknowledge it fully and sit down and ask yourself in his presence, how on earth could I so misunderstand what life is all about that I should want to do that thing which I know is sin? And you know what he'll tell you? He will. And you will enter into a whole new dimension of Christian living. Instead of saying, I won't do it, I won't do it, I know I want to, I want to, but I won't, you'll get nowhere with that. But if you say, Lord Jesus, I really want to do that, what on earth is wrong with me? Please show me. He'll show you. Without condemnation. That's exactly, and I don't have time to prove it, but that's exactly what James means when he says, if any of you lack wisdom. That's not wisdom in general. That's wisdom in the middle of a problem. God, I don't know what's going on inside of me. Well, ask, he says, ask, and he won't get mad at you. That's what he says. This is living. This is living. He who rules his spirit is better than he who captures a city. But if you don't, like a city that is broken into and without walls, is the man who has no control over his spirit. If you're living by discipline, by law, you are of all believers most miserable. But if you are living by the inner control, basically doing what you want to do, because your wants are one with Christ you will end up loving what's your response I would imagine if your response is my response it's relief because when you think about it what I've just said it fits it fits that's how truth should be it clicks it fits and there's a tremendous sense of relief that's right that's right it feels good. It feels right. It is good news. Because I, I know I've upset some people. And, and it hurts me that I have. You're the self-disciplined people. You got graduated from West Point. Well, do me one thing, that's all. Do me one thing. Concentrate on the areas in your life that your discipline can't handle and begin to realize that that's really what it's like all the way through that you can't live this life and discipline only, only makes it look as if you can when you really can't and then listen to what I've just said again and if you're undisciplined the grace of God does not allow you to meander through life doing your thing a person who understands the grace of God is not a religious hippie if you've been undisciplined, believe me, self-control will bring your whole life into focus. And you will now have the focus to love my God and to love all I know, all he puts in my path. 
and I shall do that whatever it costs because that's my goal that's my desire and he will begin mind you he will instruct you see Lord dumps the whole lot on you all at once 25 rules sign here you're in grace isn't like that he comes and he says now let's begin Let, let's show you who you really are so to begin with you're doing things that all the disciplined people get all upset about it's okay grace is teaching you and he says let's deal with this let's deal with that let's deal with this gradually he brings your whole life into focus that's the grace of God well there it is go and live this life that the grace of God teaches you to live can I tell you something it happened when I was working with some of the Jesus people do you remember the Jesus people and um, they came into our church and they had long hair I mean boys young guys they had long hair some of them didn't wear shoes none of them wore real shirts I mean sweatshirts some with Mickey Mouse on them and others with other things on them and, and they came in they were truly born again no one really doubted that but then some of the old folk in the church you know bless their heart I mean some of them had seen the grace of God the trouble is like so many people they'd seen the grace of God and then turned their grace into law for their kids you know how that happens you know God invades me and there's a whole bunch of stuff I don't want anymore and I turn right around to my kids who have not been invaded and I say you can't do that they say why they, I say because I don't do it anyway that's another story but um, some of these dear old folk you know and they've seen the grace of God and they came to me and they said these young men we believe they're born again but when are they going to get their hair cut when are they going to start wearing shoes I said when you give me a scripture and a verse for it I said they, they said they pressured me they said you've got to go to them and tell them to cut their hair I said no I won't frustrate the grace of God I went to them alright but not about that I said to them what is the Holy Spirit saying to you about your hair what's the Holy Spirit saying to you about your feet I said just ask the Holy Spirit what's going on I said check back in a week we'll talk about it and in a week's time we got together and we went around the circle I said well what's the Holy Spirit saying one of the fellows said nothing the way he put it I see and I asked the Holy Spirit do you like my hair and the Holy Spirit says yep <laughs> but I came to another one I said what's the Holy Spirit saying about your hair he said I've got to cut it and I've got to put shoes on we went around I forget it was something like about 60-40% 60% got their hair cut but then when we got they said we're going to cut our hair I said now we're going back around again I said to the one who said he had to get his hair cut I said why did you wear long hair in the first place he said I hated society I wanted to show society I was nothing to do with them and he gave me the whole rebel story every one of the 60% that wanted to get their hair cut now every one of them had been rebels against society the 40% that the Holy Spirit said they could keep their hair they wore it long because it was fashion so I learned something there God goes along more or less with the latest fashion in hairstyles but um 
if you are wearing clothes or wearing hair or not wearing shoes to be a rebel God is against rebellion and he said cut your hair put shoes on put an IBM business suit on and get in there do you, do you understand why I said that? my dear church members wanted self-discipline they said everybody cut their hair everybody wear shoes all look the same the grace of God says no no God's not against modern hairstyles God doesn't want you ladies to wear buns just because that was in 900 years ago <laughs> nothing special about that no he's not against modern fashion what he's against is motives reasons and if, if I let see how quickly you can teach a new convert just born again listen to the Holy Spirit he'll tell you that was a risk I, was, I, I had faith in them I mean faith in the true them and as I said last night I have faith in you not faith in your flesh that's crucified with my faith is you were crucified with Christ but I believe in Christ in you and I believe in Christ in you and I believe in Christ in you and I have come here tonight to call forth the true you to awaken your faith to know who you are that you might arise and shine for your light is come you can go out of this place not bound by a million rules trying to learn to walk like a centipede but to be who you are Christ spontaneously living his life in you for a complete catalogue of audio and video cassettes write Malcolm Smith Ministries Post Office Box 29747, San Antonio, Texas, 78229. This tape is one of a three-tape series on this subject. The presence of the Holy Spirit.